It's Tuesday, December 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. Good to see you. Hey, Chris. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We're going to dip into the Fool mailbag. We're going to talk about an event in New York City. I'm happy to get you in the studio, because I know you're about to walk out the door and get on a train and head up to New York. So, we'll we'll talk about the event in a second. Let's start, though, with Apple, because uh, I turned on the TV this morning and they're talking about two different firms, two different analysts coming out with two very different recommendations on Apple. One analyst at Pacific Crest decidedly bearish on Apple. Uh, another at Bank of America very bullish, raising his price target in part because he thinks the iPhone sales in 2015 are going to be even greater than originally thought. Where are we with Apple right now? When you look at this stock, what goes through your mind other than, boy, the people who thought it was dead, what was it, a year and a half ago, or whenever that was? We can certainly say that they were, they were wrong. They were very, very wrong. Apple's at a very interesting point, and I'll, I'll preface all this by saying, we just sold our entire position in Apple in Odyssey One, which is a portfolio in Supernova, the service I work on. And we did it, it was one of the toughest calls we've ever made. But that we sold Apple for not because we we don't believe in the company because we don't think it's going to beat the market because I, I think it will, but we sold it because at seven hundred billion market cap, biggest company in the world, the most owned company in the world, the most followed company in the world. I mean, there's just there's analysts who follow Apple's every single move on a daily basis. Um, it's at that point now where if you go back in time and you go different eras and you look at you know. GE in the in the 80s and 90s, or Walmart in the 90s, or going back further, GM, General Motors in the 50s and 60s. Those were the companies that dominated their era. And Apple, there's no company. I mean, you can throw a Google in there maybe and a few others, but there's no company that's dominated the 2000s over the last 15 years than Apple. I mean, it's just what, what they've been able to do and, and the dominance they have. And we just, when we look up and down the supernova universe at Companies and rule breakers, stock advisor, a lot of smaller companies. Um, we we see companies with a lot more upside. So our sell of Apple was an opportunity cost. We just say we think we can find companies, smaller companies that have more upside than Apple. I'm also guessing that you sold it at a tidy profit. We we sold it a very nice. Okay, profit. We, we've done really well, and we and we one of the you know one of the purchases we made of Apple was right near the lows of the last you know when it kind of got down there a year and a half ago. But um, what I worry about with Apple in particular is not just its size, but it has become, interestingly, a, a bit of a one-trick pony. The iPhone is really dominant for Apple. It's almost 60% of revenue, 60% of operating profit. Those numbers are way higher than they were a few years ago when it was around a little less than 50%. If they get an iPhone wrong now, at this point, and I think the iPhone 6 is, looks like it's going to be a huge success, but if they get an iPhone wrong now from going forward, it's going to be very detrimental to the company. They've got a lot of other things going. A lot of people talk about Apple Pay, of course. The, that's, that's new and exciting, the, the Apple Watch. But those are far less than 10% of the company's business right now. The iPhone is huge. They have to continue to innovate and be able to charge premiums for the iPhone. And that is going to become harder and harder going forward, I think, especially as phones themselves become, you know, you have cheaper manufacturers can develop phones that are very good, that do most of the things that 95% of what you need to do so the question is, can Apple continue to charge two, three hundred dollar premiums over the competitors for the Apple iPhone? I, I, I think it's going to become a harder, harder road to, for them to travel. Well, you mentioned Apple Pay, and I think that 
mobile payment is a really exciting industry, and there are a lot of people who look at that and think, gosh, what a, what a huge opportunity. They can totally dominate that, and they can. I actually did an interview yesterday morning with one of our radio stations, and we were talking about this. And one of the points I made was, look, there are players in the mobile payment space where that is their entire business. That is Square's yes. entire business. Apple not only has more cash on the balance sheet than any other company out there, right. uh, but they also have the time. You know, that was one of the things where I said, look, they have the cash to make Apple Pay work for them and uh, make a lot of money for them down the line. They also have the time. They have the luxury of time. Square doesn't have that luxury. Other, you know, and I don't want to pick on Square, but uh, sort, right. of, sort of smaller pure play companies, they got to get that right immediately. Whereas Apple can look at Apple Pay and look at the long game and say, yes, we've rolled this out into Target and Panera and other places and, and, and that sort of thing, and eventually we can take our time. But to your point, if you're going to unpack what Apple Pay means to the bottom line of Apple's business, it is tiny right now. And, it, and there's no reason to think it's going to be statistically significant for at least several years, right? It, it it and Apple has you know as you mentioned they more cash than anyone. They have a hundred billion, so they can they can sit and they can they can make a lot of small bets like Apple Pay. It's a big bet, but they can make a lot of bets like that. And if a few of them pay off, it can it, it'll move the needle down the road. But I just think they're in a zone right now. If I look at Apple and I say, you know, what what's it going to take for Apple to double from here? Well, to double from here, it's going to be you know one point four trillion dollar company, and unless they have dramatic success with the iPhone 7, the iPhone 8, and any subsequent iteration of the iPhone. They're not going to get there right in, in the next five years. There's no way. So I just feel like there's there's probably better opportunities right now. Um, I think Apple's still a great company. And if if anyone said, you know, raised their hand and says, I'm holding my Apple, I'm not going to blame it at all. I think it's still a great company. Well, and I think it, in some ways, gets back to portfolio management, right? You look at the stocks that you own in your portfolio, and one way to organize them is by risk profile. And if you have, a, let's face it, 15 years ago, if you're buying shares of Apple, that is going in the higher risk, higher reward Absolutely. category of your portfolio. Now, it's at the other end of the spectrum where it's the dividend payer, the business that is not going anywhere. You know, It's not going out of business anytime soon. Right. Uh, and, so. that can, and it can serve a great purpose like that. But in Odyssey One in particular, we are going after more of the, the bleeding edge, the riskier companies, just because we think generally we're going to get paid more for that risk. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. Got an email from Jake Miller, self-identified listener number 23 in Pennsylvania, because 23 days until Christmas. Ah. Uh, in your opinion, what is the best way to tackle the possibilities of the Internet of Things? Is it better to bet on larger companies like Qualcomm or Intel that can add this new field to their existing business, or smaller companies like Sierra Wireless, CalAmp, Invencents, just to name a few, that have a lot more potential for growth but also are a tad riskier, they're more dependent on the Internet of Things becoming a large market. Would diversifying between these businesses be a good strategy? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Big fan of the show. Uh, great question. Thanks. For, uh, thanks, for, great thanks question. for the love, but uh, but but a great question. I think this is uh, in some ways tied to what we were just talking about in terms of are you are you looking to invest in the pure play or are you looking to invest in the larger, more stable business that has this as a side business? I think I think he you know he almost answered his own question. I mean you you want diversification. You want actually both. The the pure plays 
you know, the component makers like the Sierra Wirelesses or the CalAmps, uh, NXP Semiconductors, InventSense, name them. Um, they are, the problem with those is that they are just in the worst part of what I call the value chain of business, which is they are supplying components to larger players like your Cisco's or your Google's of the world. Um, little switches, little sensors, little, you know, um, wireless transceivers that are sending and, and transferring the data. Those those chips are necessary and important, but the problem is they're always in that zone where the OEM, the original equipment manufacturer or the customer-facing business, is always putting the pressure on those guys to lower their prices, make them more efficient. Um, and it is it is tough to 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 be very profitable in that zone um, if you're not kind of in the customer-facing value chain part of the value chain. Uh, so I think you want to own both, and I can't I can't say which you know which one's the right one, whether it's CalAmp or Sierra Wireless. They're all doing really great things to to innovate in this Internet of Things space. But to me, I think it comes down to companies like Google. You know, when Google bought Nest about a year ago, companies that um, people are familiar with, they know um, that they're willing to pay a premium for, products like that that integrate all those things and bring them together. Google is ultimately, a company like Google, for, as an example, is always the company that's going to have pricing power, not a company like Sierra Wireless or CalAmp. Um, so you just have to be careful. I think you want to own both, um, and, and you'll, do, you'll do just fine, knowing that a lot of the pure plays are probably going to crash and burn, but some of them might actually do really well. You also and you always want to look at the management, but it seems like even more so with the pure plays. You want to look at well, who who are the people running this business? What is their outlook? Um, and I, I just go back to the CEO of Inventsense, who we we had in an, uh, one of our Motley Fool events in San Francisco right. earlier this year, uh, Barrett Abdi. Um, very impressive guy, in part because he was very clear-eyed about the challenges. He knows exactly where his business fits in that chain that you mentioned. That's right. It's tough. I mean, one one other company that we, we, we've we been skeptical about that we, we own for a time is, is a company called Universal Display, which makes the OLED components, OLED, which you know is, is kind of very popular in, in displays. But they're so dependent on a company like Samsung for to use those components in you know in their smartphones and their TVs, and if Samsung says you know what we're just we're going to go with a different supplier, you know Universal Display just gets killed. It's it's a really tough part of, of the business to be in. You can all uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Market Foolery is our handle. Uh, thanks to Jason Newman in New York for the shout out he gave us when we talked yesterday about those uh, very impressive students at East Greenwich High in Rhode Island uh, working on their own to get financial literacy in the classroom. Uh, comment on Twitter from McKenna Haas in Des Moines, Iowa, who writes, "Glad to have <laughs> referencing our break last week. Glad to have Market Foolery back after. Bri- uh, uh, let me try that again. Glad to have Market Foolery back from break after reading the Fool newsletter for Thanksgiving prayer and having no one understand." <laughs> fool on. And McKenna touches on something that we've talked about this before. We just we had a wonderful event last night in uh, Old Town Alexandria with a bunch of our members. And McKenna touches on something that uh, that we've talked about before, which is the barrier that we. I think we do a lot of things at the Motley Fool to make investing accessible and easy. But one thing that we don't do to help listeners and readers and members uh, right off the bat is our name, because let's face it, if McKenna is around the Thanksgiving table with her family and friends and says something along the lines of, you know, I was just reading this interesting thing in the Wall Street Journal. No one around the table is going to say, wait, right. what the hell's the Wall Street Journal? But I think for a lot of our members, just in conversation 
with other people and mentioning the Motley Fool, I'm sure a lot of them just get blank stares. Oh, totally. Like, what are you t-? so? And unfortunately, that's never going to go away. People, sorry, there's nothing we can do no, about that. Can't help it. I mean, I was at the you know, I was meeting new people at Thanksgiving this past week, and you know, people were like, "Oh, what do you do?" And I said, "Well, I work for, I work for a company called the Motley Fool," and immediately they're. they're you know, I can see the wheels turning. Like, what, 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 what did he just? Did he just say fool, Molly fool? You know, and you kind of really have to explain it. It's, it's not, it's not easy. Uh, let's talk about the event. You're headed up to New York. This is um, uh, an event tied to our Supernova service. Uh, what is the event, and what is your role? Sure. Well, we are. We did. We did this last year. So every every year, we open uh, Supernova service. I work on um, to new members, and we do. Last year, we did this interesting exploration where. We took 16 stocks from our universe, um, 16 stocks we, we really like, and we kind of paired them up against each other and, and did a little competition and, and tried to nail down four to, down to four companies, um, that we, one of which would be our top stock uh, for 2014. And, and last year, it was in Vincense, which you know, hasn't really worked out so well. <laughs> Still have confidence in it. Um, but we are, so this event in New York, um, uh, is we're, we're taking our last four companies from this exploration. It's our, our disruptor companies. Uh, so it's Amazon, uh, Bank of Internet, uh, Tesla, and Solar City. Mm-hmm. We're going to pair them up, and we're going to pick a winner. We're going to pick the one stock we think is the most disruptive company from the group, and the company we think is going to is going to outperform over the next twelve months and beyond. So um, it's great. We'll probably have you know around two hundred Supernova members, um, New York area fools, come and hang out with us. David Garter is going to be there. I'll be speaking with him. Uh, Tim Byers and Rick Minares, um, who are Rick Minars is from Miami. Uh, Tim Byers is coming in from Colorado. They're going to be there, um, which is nice to nice to spend time with them. So we're all going to be there on a, on a panel and, and discussing those companies. Do you have one stock of those four that you're really pushing that you or that you're responsible for making the pitch for? Well, we're yeah. I'm, I'm I, I like all four of those companies. I mean, gosh, I own three of them, um, and personally, but to me, I think what's the one you don't own? Uh, well, let's see, uh, Tesla is actually the one I don't oh, own, okay. which is. Awful, I mean to say, given what Tesla's done over the past couple of years. Um, but to me, I think, and I look at those four companies, and there's, there's no bigger disruptive company than Amazon. I mean, they're disrupting every other company in the market. They're disrupting themselves in a lot of places. They're always disrupting. Uh, Bank of Internet is, is an interesting company. It's, 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 it's disrupting certain niches of the, of the banking world, but it's still a bank in, in a lot of ways. But to me, SolarCity really stands out right now because I just think they're... They're they're potentially doing something big that could be very massive in the next few years, which is just you know enabling people enabling the enabling the average consumer in the U.S. to to add solar power to their home, and you can do it in a very affordable way, and it's it just makes so much sense. And the the fact that solar energy prices have fallen so dramatically, so that I can actually um, the typical consumer now in, in the majority of U.S. states, if they add solar panels to the roof, their electric bills to be 20-30% lower, and in most cases, they don't have to actually pay to get those panels installed. Um, it's just so, it's such a compelling value proposition. I just think that's going to be so disruptive. I mean, I just feel like a lot of utility companies out there right now who have had these these you know glorious monopolistic relationships with their customers for so many years, that, that I'd, I'd be a little <laughs> worried if I were them, because I think Solar City's coming, and coming really hard. All right. For more details uh, and a free guided tour of the Supernova service, uh, go to Supernova. 2015.fool.com. That's supernova, one word, 
www.fool.com. You get all of David Gardner's personal stock picks together in one place. And actually, and right if you go there right now, you can actually read about all four of those companies. You can read actually all about all 16 companies that we've been exploring over the past month. Supernova2015.fool.com. Check it out. Uh, it's our free microsite. Matt Argusinger, have a safe trip. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>